Welcome to the Crossing Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for listening. We're glad you've connected with us. Our hope is that God speaks to your heart in a new way through this message. If you're new to the Crossing Church, please feel free to reach out to us by visiting our contact page or by paying us a visit. We would love to meet you. This week's sermon podcast begins in three, two, one. We have been in a series entitled, I Believe, and we've been going phrase by phrase through the Apostles' Creed. So this morning we get to, I Believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, as we've said uh, a number of times through this series, uh, the Creed was one of the earliest summaries of, uh, that the church kind of put together starting in the second century to kind of codify in short order form the key beliefs of our faith. Early Christians, as a matter of fact, would memorize the creed, and when they got baptized, they would recite the creed to whoever was there, all well, the friends and family like we kind of do now. And uh, they would, you know, but they would have gone through a kind of catechism class and to understand kind of what we're doing right now. They would go to understand every one of these important doctrines of uh, key doctrines of the faith. So I, I looked, you know, when I was looking at the, uh, uh, the creed even this week, you look at it and you say, you know, I believe in God. I think a lot of people, we're going to talk about that in just a second. A lot of people could say that. In fact, 90% of Americans can say that. I believe in God. Uh, I think a lot of people could very easily say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I think they could say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but I believe in the church, you know? I mean, really, especially in 2016, when I look at the, the landscape, not only the, the religious landscape, just America, the culture in the United States right now, I think, you know, when people get up, if they do say that in their churches, that may be the hardest thing in the entire creed, the most difficult phrase for them to speak. Why would I say that? Well, it's because I know that one of the main reasons that people in this country do not embrace Christianity is not that they don't believe in God, like I just said, 90% do. But it's, and I, listen, I don't, I, I got to say this, 90% believe in God, I think about 10%, obviously 10% don't, I think they all live around here. I, I don't know what it is. I think, I think it's all New Jersey. They're all New Jersey, or they're on the, you know what they're on? They're on the coasts. I think they're on the coasts, and then you got that whole center section that, whatever. Anyway, um, what the Bible says about the church for some people is harder to believe and harder to swallow than what the Bible says about God, about Jesus Christ, or about the Holy Spirit. I think it's the most difficult thing in this creed. Now, I have a suspicion that a fair amount of the time that people who do say to us, my suspicion, maybe I'm wrong, you know, people who do say, I don't believe in God, I got a problem with, you know, the Bible is the word of God, I don't know about that, Jesus Christ is the son of God, eh, what they're really saying is this, I don't believe in the church, and I don't believe what the church does, and I don't believe in the people who are connected with the church and who go there. See, I think that's really what they're saying behind what they're kind of saying to you on the surface. They've been disillusioned by church. I met a guy, I, I didn't meet a guy, a guy stopped by to see me yesterday. I hadn't seen him in, in a few years, and I'm walking a dog late afternoon yesterday, and I come home, and he's standing in front of the house, like, hey. So we sat, you know, we went inside, had a cup of coffee, and we were talking, and uh, Christian, you know, Christian, raised, raised believer, went to church his whole life, and I said, so, you know, where are you going to church now? He started laughing, <laughs> and I, know, I knew what that meant, you know. Um, 
Yeah, he wasn't going to church. Why? Well, last church he was in, he kind of got scuffed up a little bit, and there's some weird things, and blah, blah, the whole thing. Disillusioned. You know what? People get disillusioned by the church. That's why I think it's harder for them to say, I believe in the church, than it is for them to say, I believe in God. So they say things like, especially in America, I'm spiritual, but not religious. We've talked about that many, many times, and which I hear all the time. Folks, people who say that have put themselves in a desperate, spiritually deficit position. You can't say, as they are, I like the idea of God, but I don't like the idea of church or understand the church. You really want to get to know the church at all. So you really can't say, because the two are connected. Now, years ago, um, I started dating this girl who was a Christian, and I thought, you know, I, I know, was uh, you know, somewhat serious about her faith. And it wasn't too long before she came to me and she said, I want you to meet somebody who is really dear and really special to me. In fact, uh, this person who I want you to meet is my, uh, kind of my spiritual mother, my spiritual mentor. Would you like to meet him, meet her? And so I really didn't. But, you know, you're dating somebody, I, you know, but you're dating somebody, you go, of course I want to meet her. I mean, why would I not want to meet her? She's special to you. She's got to be special to me. Right? So, uh, so we went and, and we, we met this one very, very nice woman, uh, honestly. And uh, we, we sat, we talked a little bit and, uh, you know, kibitzed. And she was just kind of pleasant. And uh, I said, you know, I understand, you know, you, you guys have known each other for a long time, and I, I, I understand that you met at, at the Baptist church. Yes, 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 we did. We did. And I, so I said to her very innocently, I wasn't trying to be a jerk or anything, honestly. I really wasn't. Um, I said to her, I said, well, where do you go to church now? Very innocently. And she looked at me with great confidence, like, you know, like, like someone who had been fed questions in advance or something, you know, and, and said, oh, I don't go to church anymore. I watch church on television on Sunday mornings. You know, I watch the church, and I kind of participate that way. I prefer that. So knowing that this woman had purposely pulled herself away from the body, I said to her again, quite innocently, quite innocently, um, why don't you go to church anymore? Why don't you do that? And she said, well, church is f filled with unspiritual people, which I guess she wasn't among that number anyway because she wasn't going there anymore. And she said, there's so many things I don't like about the church, the things that bother me, the way that people talk, the way they talked about the pastor. And she gave some uh, examples about, you know, hypocrisy that she had come up against. And she said, I'm very contented with this arrangement. And I was young, and I didn't want to get into anything again, trying, you know, to impress the girl. But I wish I had. And the reason I wish I had was because this woman, a good woman, a Christian woman, may have, have well have said to me, by saying, you know what, I, I really don't go to church anymore. She might as well have said to me, uh, I've decided to go at it on my own. I don't go to church anymore because I've decided to stop growing as a Christian. I've decided to stop following hard after Jesus. She might as well have said that. I've decided to stop dead in my tracks. See... I should, I should have told her that, you know what, that's really what you're saying. Whether, whether you know it or not, that's what you're saying. I wish I had said it. I didn't. Do you know who would have said it, though, to her? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul would have said it in the scripture that we looked at this morning. So we have to look at the church this morning, and, 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 and here's why. I believe the church is the primary tool, the primary tool by which God grows his children to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. God grows his kids through the church. And if you miss that, you have missed a lot. 
So this morning, just really simple questions. Really simple questions. Here they are. You know, what is the church and what's its purpose? That's it. What, what, you know, what is the church and what's it for? What's it for? What is the church? I'm going to run through this first one really quick, okay? Uh, what is the church? He says, and uh, there in the, in the scripture that was read, as a prisoner, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, the Greek word that is used there is ekklesia, used in the New Testament. It refers to the church all the time. And when it refers to the church, it's not talking about a building. It's not talking about a gym where everybody comes in at 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, these really, and they set up all the chairs, they put the speakers up. A lot of churches like that. It's not talking about that. When it talks about the ecclesia, it's talking about the called out ones, because that's what the word means. It means those who are called out, ecclesia, you know, to call. And, and, Called out ones from the world. You got the whole world, and, and God has called certain ones to himself. Come on, the, the, the word went out, they responded, they consist of the church. And he, you know, even what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, called out of darkness, Peter said, into his wonderful light. These are the called out ones. Well, what do we know about the church? There's a few things. There's a number of things we could say, but three things I want to bring up this morning. Number one, the church is Catholic. It is Catholic. Now, you need to know that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you, know, you are part of a dynamic, organized organism, I like to call it, that has gone on for many, many, many centuries. Because you know, when we use the word Catholic, one of the things that we're doing is you know, basically we're saying we are connected to saints hundreds of years ago. People who, you know, prayed like we pray, you know, in, in 870 A.D., so, you know, somewhere or, over there, or, you know, all around the world. We're connected with those exact people. Now, the Apostles' Creed was written a very, very, like I said a long time ago, and the word Catholic used then was used in a very generic sense. Uh, since the time of the European Reformation, you know, 16th century, uh, many have come to use the word Catholic to mean Roman Catholic, but Catholicos means this, according to the whole, or universal. If I were to say to a friend that he has very Catholic tastes, it doesn't mean that he prefers to attend a Requiem Mass instead of a prayer meeting. That's not what it means at all. And it just means that his tastes range, you know, kind of widely. When we say that the church is Catholic, we are affirming that its message is valid and it is relevant, not just in the 21st century, but in all time. It's always relevant. Every age, every situation. There is not one ch uh, church with a message suited to the 2nd century. And then there's another suited to the 21st century. It is the same church throughout the ages, across the world, which seeks to apply the same gospel in different situations. So be careful. You know what I hear a lot now? I hear a lot now. People throwing dirt on 2,000 years of church theology and church history. It's happening a lot now. I, I, I hear it all the time. Be very, very careful. Be careful when you look at Zwingli and Luther and Augustine and you say, you know what, they didn't understand the way we understand today. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, they did. These were great men of faith, okay? When we say we are, you know, Catholic, we are saying, we are affirming that in heaven before everyone, that we kind of adhere to this universal validity, this universal relevance of the gospel that has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the, the, the church is Catholic. 
Another thing about the church, it's both visible and invisible. It's invisible in a sense that, uh, as, you know, as I said, when we, when we speak of the church, we're not necessarily speaking of a business listed on Google search. When you go, you know, some of you got here, some of you ended up at the Crossing Church more and more I hear now, and I go, well, how'd you get here? Well, I, I, I did a search. I did a Google search. Okay. The invisible church is not so much that, the thing on the, on the corner, Laurel Avenue, 222 Laurel Avenue. What makes you a member of the invisible church is not that... You know, you found this place, and you're generally kind of a nice person, and you're generally a moral person, and you generally believe in most of the things in the Bible, unless it gets too close to you, then, you know, we're not sure about that. But it, it's, it, has, it really doesn't have, first and foremost, have to do with your style of living. It's not, doesn't matter if, you, you know, you're really good with the poor, you couldn't care less about the poor so much. That's a good thing. I think a Christian will gravitate towards that. But it's not so much talking about honesty. It's not so much talking about your ethics. That's not the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And so be part of this invisible church. Being a Christian is not being nice. Being a Christian is being new. That's what the New Testament says. Behold, what did Paul say? The old has gone, the new has come. If you are part of the Catholic, universal, whole church, then you are one who is trusted by faith and by faith alone in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross to save you from your sins. See, everybody in the, in the invisible church adheres to that. If you don't adhere to that, you're not part of the invisible church. You're just not. See, there are individuals that have repented of their sin. People who are part of the invisible church believe in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who died on the cross, physically rose from the dead as payment for our sins, and now... They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God that we talked about real recently, right? They're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. These are the ones who are members of the invisible church. And folks, you know what? Do you know who knows who, who's part of the invisible church? It ain't you. And it ain't me. You know who it is? He's the only one. He's the only one. Ultimately... Ultimately, he's the only one. Because what did he say in Matthew chapter 7? Just came to mind. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, he said, he said, test the prophets. Why? Because a lot of prophets look like the real McCoy, right? They say the right things. They, they dress the right things. They've kind of memorized what it is to be a Christ follower and a Christian. You could do that. You really can do that. But you know, who's, you know who knows who's part of the invisible church? There's only one. It is God in heaven. He's the one who knows whether you are part, you know, because... Uh, he said in, in, in John chapter 3, he said, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. God is the only one who knows who's born again. He knows. It's invisible, this church. But it's also visible. It's visible too. Michael Horton wrote this. He said, as the soul is to the body, so the invisible church is to its visible manifestation the visible church this this is an expression of the visible church it's just one expression but there's many expressions going on right now this church gives arms and voice and legs to the spirit of god that leads it see that's that's who we are the spirit of god indwells us and we kind of give voice to the spirit not all professing christians who are members of the visible church though as i said are members of the invisible church. The visible church consists of both, and they're here right now. You're here right now, both saved and unsaved. People who know by the witness of the Spirit that is in you that you are on your way to heaven, 
and people who, you know what, basically, they just kind of, they're coming, and I've had a lot of people tell me this, I just like to come because, yeah, I really like the music. And I really, you know, I, I, you know, when you talk, I like when you talk. And it's, you know what they're doing? They're kind of getting up near a fire. You're going near a fire. It's cold night. You get it in the backyard or something. You kind of, kind of warm up by the fire. Did you ever do that? Just warming up by the fire. That's what they're doing. See, see, they're really not, they're really not part of things, but they're warming up. There, there are a lot of people. Don't think everybody hates what's going on here. I bet you a lot of people, if they came in here on a Sunday morning, they'd say, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'd rather read the New York Times and get ready for the giant game. But, but I mean, what they're doing is pretty cool. See, there are people like that here this morning. I know that. And God knows that. We're always mindful of that. We're always mindful of that. See, Augustine said that on any given Sunday morning, when the visible church gets together, it is what he called a mixed assembly. It's the mixed assembly. Uh, 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 are there people in the, in, the, in the visible church who have done a fairly good job memorizing what a Christian is and can say the right things? Yeah, they really are. They really are. Um, that's not to say that every time someone sins and indulges in the flesh that, you know, and the world and the devil, that they're not believers. Do believers sin? Okay. Yeah, I'm glad not too many said amen. Well, that's good. A yes is a good answer. That's a good answer. Do, do we deliberately disobey? Yes. But we know, you know what, we, we, we just don't know who we're dealing with all the time in the church, in the visible church. Here's the thing. If you are truly a Christian, the Holy Spirit will tell you and convince you. We're not going to get into that right now. Uh, but uh, the church is both visible and invisible. Last thing I want to bring up. The church is one. It is a unity. Listen, have you ever traveled either overseas, you go into another country, and you sit in a little restaurant, and someone hears you speak... And they go, are you an American? Yeah, yeah. And you go, you know, yeah, how you doing? You're from the East Coast, aren't you? You're from Jersey. You're from New York. Come on, tell me the truth now. Really, where are you, where you from? And you go, yeah, I'm from the East Coast, too. I'm from New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey, too. Do you know John Smith from Belleville? It's like there's nine people in New Jersey, right? Oh, yeah, of course we know everybody in New Jersey. Why, why wouldn't I say that? Yeah, you know, we have a lot of people in this church who are international people. You're first generation here in the United States. You immigrated to the United States. How do you feel when you meet someone from Nigeria? You're from Nigeria. You meet, you meet a Nigerian in the store. How do you feel when you meet someone from Cameroon or Peru or Brazil? It's, is it great? It's great. Why is it great? Because even though you don't have to talk extensively to this person one-on-one, -on -one, you have had shared experiences. You talk the same language. You get it. See, the Americans, they don't get it. See, we, we get it. We get it. See, and you know they get it. And so when you talk about towns and places and government and things and, and world events, you know that they have a different perspective. You just know they do. The other day I was in a restaurant. There were two women at the next table. They bowed their heads and began to pray before their meal. We're at Panera. And, and you know what? I kind of got a little excited. I got to tell you the, the truth. I got a little excited, and I almost felt like breaking into their conversation after they started eating and saying, are you guys Christians? You know? Uh, you know, where do you go to church? Do you go to church? Are you looking for a church? Are you looking, you know? Um, why do we do that? Because we share something at the core. There is something that is so deep in us that we share. Listen, listen, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, 
you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Gentile and Jew he's talking about here, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Folks, the grand drama of how Jesus by his, the blood of his cross won unity not just in and for the church but in and for all creation, it is the story of the ages. Amen? It is. This passage is one of the fullest biblical statements about how Jesus' saving death is the only power of reconciliation for this entire broken world, for the entire cosmos. You know what? Those of you who are part of the invisible church, I don't care if you're part of you know, this church or not, you get that. See? You get it. We Get it. We are one when it comes to that. Jesus Christ won, W-O-N, for us on the cross, the possibility that we could be saved and that we could be part of one new humanity that he is in the process of making. You know what this says? It ain't our job to make oneness. That ain't our job description. Jesus already did that. It is our job to maintain the oneness that came at such a seriously high price. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 says this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all. And in all, the church is one. Which brings, us, which brings us to our next question. Our next question. What's the purpose? You know what the purpose is? Again, cliff notes. Maturity. That's the purpose. Until, he says in verse 13, until we, have all, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ then we will no longer be, what? Infants. The purpose of the church is to together grow up in our faith and grow up in the knowledge of Christ. The church, listen, the church is God's primary tool to grow his children. God grows his children through the church. 
Everything that happens in the visible church is about preparing people spiritually, to making them spiritually mature. And you know, Paul puts it in kind of a negative way in verse 14. You look at verse 14. He says what? Then we will no longer be infants. Is it up there? Oh. All right. Well, it says that in verse 14. Okay? <laughs> then we will no longer be infants. What's the purpose of all the ministry here at the Crossing? Whether you know it or not. You know, you, know, you know what the purpose is? Is to prepare God's people for works of service, verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach what? Verse 13. Until we reach and become mature, it says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. When people become a part of the invisible church and enter into the visible church, okay, you know what they are, every single one of them? You come into the invisible church by faith, all right, by grace. You come into the visible church, you know what you are? You're a baby. Every one of us. We're, nobody comes in as an adult or even an adolescent. Everyone comes in as a baby, a little baby, not as an adult. We are spiritual babies. And the reason we need to be part of the church is because otherwise we would stay forever infants. We would stay infants. Paul is, you know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying this. To grow, to move from infancy, we need the ministry of the local church. We need to be ministering to each other. He distributes gifts so that all of us could bring each other to maturity. We need prophets. We need apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the saints so that all the Christians are doing ministry. Not that they're doing all the ministry, all the upfront ministry. That's not that what's... Most of the ministry in this church is not being done on a Sunday morning right here. Most of the ministry in this church is being done in a thousand phone conversations, in little meetings at Panera, in little Bible studies, in home groups. That's where most of the ministry is being done in this church. But you know what? I want to look just, just for a couple minutes. Everyone comes in as a, a baby, right? I just said that? You with me? Okay. We all come in as a baby. Um, and then we get this, you know, we, we come in, we, we get this new life, you become a Christian, and you're an infant. And that's a very good thing. That is a very, very good thing. It would be a very, very bad thing if 10 years from now you were still an infant. See, infants are precious. We have our little Jace, our granddaughter. She's precious. But if, she's, if she reacts the same way a few years from now, we're going to know there's something wrong. There's something really wrong. You can't stay like that. We don't want to stay infants. So what it... Look, I, I, this may help us. This may help you. Even if you're not an infant, this may help you. What, what does an infant look like? What, what, really, what, what does it? What does it mean to be a spiritual baby? Now, Paul alludes to some things that I, I think are helpful. Let me give you a few marks of a spiritual infant or someone who is spiritually immature. Okay? Characteristics of spiritual babies. Number one, spiritual babies, they have very little perspective. They have very little perspective. Um, Real babies uh, say, uh, you, know, you know, here's food, uh, this is bad food, this is good food, this is poison, I don't know, I don't care, I just want something, right? That's what babies do. They don't discern. It doesn't matter. If this food or if this weed or this whatever is going to kill them, they don't, they don't know any difference, right? They just say, well, okay, you know, I'm hungry, I'll eat. They don't, they, just, they don't know what will kill them. They have no discernment. So it says in verse 14, 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, which is going on all the time. You know, you know who are the easiest marks? The easiest marks for half-truths and outright lies, you know who they are? Spiritual, spiritual infants. They are like, it's like a baby out in the woods all by itself. They are ripe for the picking, I'm going to tell you, for the, of the evil one. Therefore, unless you begin to understand the word of God, unless you become educated in God's truth, unless you start to grow, you will always remain an infant. But the good news is that God grows his children through his church. He's committed to that. Uh, spiritual babies, they don't have a lot of perspective. I'll tell you something else that, about spiritual babies. They're all about themselves. They are all about themselves. Real babies are all about themselves. They want what they want, and they want it now. You know, our five-week-old granddaughter, when she is hungry, everybody knows that she's hungry. Everybody knows. And she doesn't really care if we're preparing dinner or something, if I'm watching a game, and it's, you know, it really doesn't matter. She wants what she wants, and she wants it now. So you gotta, you got to teach kids to share. You should really share your toys, not use them as a weapon. You really, you, you really should do that, okay? You have to wait. you got to wait in line, you know? It's not like people out in the highway that cut, and cut in. You have to actually wait in line. You've you, you got, you got to train them. There are other human beings in the world, and you know what? They think that they're the most important thing, too, a lot of times. You, need, but you know what? There are other, pe- there are other things, other desires. Your desires are not everything. There are other people with desires, too. So... Physical babies, physical infants are very, very self-centered. So are spiritual babies. Spiritual babies are too. Spiritual babies, you know what they, you know what they think about all the time? They think about themselves. That's what they're thinking about. Their feelings get hurt so easily. I mean, you kind of, look, you know, you go looking like that, and you go like this. It's like you look at them wrong sometimes. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, what, what did we do? We, where did so and so go? Oh, they left. What happened? Well, somebody said something to them. What they say? That is what they said, and they left. That's, see, that happens a lot of times with spiritual babies. They're always feeling slighted. They're always conscious, you know, how are people looking at it? How do I, how do I look in front of other people? What are they thinking about me? Oh, why aren't they treating, why are they treating me special? I should be treated special. You know, I am special, so I should be treated special, you know? I, am I being treated right? Am I being treated fairly? A lot of times, this is the, this is the phrase you hear with spiritual babies, you ready? That's not fair. That is not fair. That's, that's on their lips a lot, I hear. Always absorbed with themselves, always thinking about themselves, not thinking that much about other people. Real tough time with criticism, can't admit that they're wrong. Uh, They're spiritual babies, and the church has to help spiritual babies grow to maturity. The good news is that God grows his children through places like this, through the church. Something else about spiritual babies. They're not stable, or babies in general. They're not stable. They're bouncing back and forth. For 14, it will, then he says in verse 14, why? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the wind. Back and forth, here and now. Over here, now we're over here. Then we're going to go there. And it, that's, that, that's just kind of how they live their life. Babies have very short attention stands. You ever see baby toys, you know, infant toys? They got a lot of things that move and lights and things that blink, and, and it's like they're all over. I, I don't know how they all, I, th- I think we have made the generation that we've made. They can't think for more than five seconds at one time. 
I think we did it because we bought all these stupid baby toys at Toys R Us that just, you know, you go from one thing to the next to the next, and, and they're just, you know, but it kind of, they did it because that's kind of babies, that's their attention span. It's about five seconds, and then they move on to the next. Well, this is really nice. Well, it's not so nice anymore. Now I like this. You know, they laugh, and when they laugh, they're happy. Ooh, they're happy. Then they get bored about 10 seconds later, and they go, and, and, and they make everybody understand that they're unhappy. Then they go on to the next day, and they're happy. And then they get sad again, all over again. See, they're not very stable. I think one of the reasons, I think one of the reasons for the church hopping phenomenon in America you know, I mean, t- people, they're here, and then they're down there, and then you talk, you know, and the ministers talk, they go, oh, you got so-and-so at your church now? Yeah, they were with me for about eight months, and, they, you know, you find out, you know, there's a whole, tra- there's a lot of people like that. There's, a, there's an awful lot of people like that. And I, I se- seem to think that a lot of times they don't hang out long enough, uh, and, and, and so they never get past the infant stage. They've never had the church be able to come next to them and see them grow. They never hang out long enough to hear from God's voice who may say to them, wow, you know what, you're really needed here. And you see that situation over here? You could, you know what, I have gifted you that you could actually do something. You could do some damage over there. Really get into things. You could really make a change. And you know what, sometimes when they, they do hear it and they, they get excited and they become part of it, and then all of a sudden, oh, wait, this is better. I like this, you know? And they go over there. And, uh, you know, they go from one to the next. You know, it's complicated. It's always com- everything's complicated. Babies are really unstable like that. They have, no, they have nothing called what we call endurance. There's no such thing as endurance with infants. They don't, they don't endure anything. They get tired. Even if they're learning to walk, they get tired. Boom. They're down. That's it. They rarely follow through. If you rarely follow through... Maybe you're a spiritual baby. As you grow, people begin, as you grow spiritually, you begin to start to do what you're supposed to do, no matter how you woke up that morning, no matter how you feel, whether the day is going good or the day is going, you know, like not how you planned. You do it because, you know why you do it? Because you're becoming more steady, more patient, more enduring. You know what that's called? Maturity. That's what that's called. You know the place where Jesus sent out the disciples, gave them power over the demons, and, uh, you know, they went out and they healed the sick, and they did everything, Luke 10, and they came back, and they were, they were so stoked. I mean, these guys were like, they were flying high, man. And they said, Lord, it's exactly what you said. We're out there, we're right in the dead, and people are getting healed, and it's just people are coming, they're looking at us, and they're treating us special, and we really like this. And, and you know what, Jesus kind of looked at them, and he kind of pushed back. He said, rejoice not that the demons are subject to you, but that your names are written in heaven. You think Jesus would go, good guys, come on, group hug right now. Here's a group hug, you know, everybody gets a noogie because you all did a great job. He didn't do that. He said, don't be thrilled that all these wonderful, amazing things are happening. You know what you should be really thrilled about? That your names are written in the book of life. That's the bottom line. And you know what he's saying, basically? You guys need to grow up. You guys need to grow up. Don't get all excited, you know what, uh, you know, God answers your prayer, but now, you know, there's, there's a, it's kind of a dry time, so, you know, I wonder where God is. is God, does he love me? He doesn't even care. Is there a God? I mean, you know, don't, really? Really? Don't always have to be wowed by the spectacular. See, that's, that's a lot in the American church now. It's an increasing number. We've got to be wowed. Ooh, wow. Smoke, mirrors, whatever, you know, and, and, and we've we got to keep that going. Don't be saying to God, what have you done for me lately? 
If you do, you're a spiritual baby. Here's the good news. God grows his children through churches, through the local church, even churches like this, imperfectly. But he does grow. You know, he's working with imperfect people. Hey, uh, another one, last one. Spiritual babies are incredibly, incredibly needy. Uh, My niece, uh, Elizabeth, she gave birth to a little girl 15 months ago by the name of Abigail. And when my niece was just a few months pregnant, the doctors knew there was something wrong. They said, we're not sure what, but there's really something wrong. Uh, They went back and forth. They told her, you're not going to carry this baby six months. This baby may be born. Okay, the baby's going to be born, but the baby's going to live about two weeks. You know, it's kind of that, that kind of thing. I remember hearing all this all the time. And over the course of her pregnancy, there were a number of diagnoses as to what they were dealing with. And, and n- none of the options were good. Down syndrome, syndrome uh, I, I think it's called trisomy 18, which is a, 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 a lethal diagnosis at first. Uh, a chondroplastia is a type of dwarfism. And it wasn't, you know, it, it was a very long nine months. Let me just say that for, for, for our family. It was a really long time. And when Abigail was born, she weighed four pounds, two ounces, and was 16 inches long. Abigail is now 15 months old and weighs almost, almost 11 pounds. 15 months old. After testing the doctor's uh, found out that she had something called Russell Silver's disease, which strikes one out of every 100,000 births. And in addition to her regular visits to the doctor, which she goes to, she, gets, uh, she sees a geneticist. She sees a gastroenterologist. She sees a nutritionist. She gets physical. She gets occupational therapy every week. And very soon, she's going to receive help from a speech therapist. Elizabeth, my niece, was required to feed little Abigail once every three hours for the first year of her life. So in other words, she never got more than three hours sleep at a stretch. Now, after she was one-year-old, it's four hours. Yeah, so she gets one, one extra hour. Every time, every time they change a diaper, every time they change her diaper, they have to check her ketones so that she doesn't become hypoglycemic because if her blood sugar, sugar drops too low, that could be very, very, very dangerous for this child. Getting her to month 15 of her short life has been all-consuming. She now knows how to walk, which is a great thing, but what's not so great is that if she falls, she can't get back up because her head is too heavy for her body to the strength to get up. So she wears this special helmet. I think they, did they show that picture with the special helmet? And, and, and she, she doesn't know how to break her fall, so mom and dad always have to be near her, always have to be near her. She can never be out of sight. Pretty soon, they're going to begin, begin giving her daily hormone injections, which will continue. These daily injections will continue for the next 10 years in the hope that she'll grow in the hope that she'll grow. That's what it's going to take to help Abigail grow. Now, this is a, this is a wonderful couple. My niece Elizabeth, her husband, Scott, have learned and are always learning how to meet Abigail's 
needs, how best to put her in a position to grow and a position to thrive. But folks, let me just say this. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't. And you know, someone from the outside would probably say, wow, what a burden. Yet you know what? When you talk to them, you know what they say? They say, what a blessing. What a blessing. They, they consider her a blessing. They are very blessed. She is a miracle. And to think that the doctor's original assessment of Abigail was this, quote, she might not be compatible to life. That's what they kept hearing. To see where she is now is a miracle. Folks, i got to tell you something. Things have changed over the years, even in my lifetime. It used to be that the culture, influenced by a general moral code and ethic, used to help regulate kind of life a bit. But now it seems to be, the culture seems to be at war with any semblance of propriety or modesty or purity, and at times with what us old folks call self-respect. And as those wonderful intangibles have slowly disappeared... The depth and the breadth of the problems that we face as a culture and as people face individually have dramatically, exponentially increased. A lot of times, you're an educator here. You got teachers here? Okay? Call me a liar later. You don't have to call me a liar right now. Embarrass me in front of anybody. But you can call me a liar later. Uh, I bet you spend a third of your time disciplining in the classroom. Okay? Didn't used to. Or or maybe more. So uh, probably someone's saying more. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't used to be like that. It is now. I talk to many, many teachers. My wife is, is part of the grammar school down the block here. Folks, i got to tell you, um, uh, uh, not one of the candidates, major or minor, in this past election said almost anything about drugs that are ravishing our nation, destroying our communities, destroying lives. Nobody mentioned anything, or shattered family, or sexual abuse, or sexual confusion. You know what someone told me this week? That uh, they mentioned the college that are now asking on the applications of prospective students, do you want to be looked at as a male, as a female, or other? I'm saying, what's the, what, alien? What's the other? I'm not sure what the other is, okay? That's what's happening now. Folks, listen, we're very confused. We're a very confused culture. Now listen, some of the folks who are confused, who are angry, who are bitter, do you know they're starting to come to the Crossing Church? They are. And you know what I say to that? One word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We welcome you. We are glad that you are here. But listen. Folks, as they come in with a host of challenges and problems that, frankly, i got to tell you, most pastors and leaders are not prepared for, it's going to take something special. It's gonna, we didn't learn about it in seminary. I talked to an old pastor, I remember, so, a few years ago, and I asked the question, a pastor who's like 80, do you think it's more difficult? I didn't finish the statement. He goes, yes, it's infinitely more difficult to pastor a church today than it was when I was in my prime because the problems are so deep. They're so hardened. By the time these kids are 16 years old, they have done everything there is to do. That's why they're killing themselves at unbelievable rates, suicide rates. That's why. And you know what it's going to take to see these little ones come to maturity? It's going to take people like you 
people like us who are willing to put up with some really bad language. You know, my friend who recently came to the Lord, he uses the F word as a verb, as an adjective, as a noun, as a beginning of a prepositional phrase. I mean, I, it's almost like, man, I didn't, I didn't know you could use it that, that, that colorfully and that, that, you know, imaginatively. And, um, and yet, and yet, you know, there's other things going on. I see other things falling off. I see it happening. I, I, and I say, that's the, that's, the, that's the Spirit of God doing some really great work. You know what? People who are really damaged who are coming in, they're coming with bad luck. They're coming with crazy moral positions, coming with great irresponsibility, who seem to think of themselves a lot more than they should, who have continual questionable decisions they make. Who's going to walk with them? Who is going to help them come to a mature understanding of Christ and life and his ways and his purposes so that we can grow together and become one? Who's going to do that if not us, if not you? Then who? That's the goal, to be one. People who are willing to do that stuff, kind of stuff, though, i, I got to tell you something. If you want to be kind of frontline stuff with people like that, you got to get used to getting shocked, okay? And you're going to have to ask God, God, give me some shock absorbers here. I don't have them naturally. Give me some shock. You know, if I'm going to take this stuff seriously, I know plenty of Christians who come into churches and they're shocked by how immature people are. I want you uh, to consider, spiritually speaking, that every church should have a number of babies and every church should have piles of poopy diapers somewhere. I mean, they just should. I mean, if, if, if you don't have that in, in, in a local church, you got no life, man. There ain't no life. You know, sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes I, I go down the end of the hallway there and I'm... What's going on? Somebody died back here, I think. And, and they, you know, I mean, it stinks. It stinks. But it means that there's some pretty good life going on down there too, right? Some pretty good life going on there. If, if you're going to take this stuff seriously, you can't get surprised when, when young Christians act immaturely. We're not saved by being mature. We're saved by grace. You're not saved by having it all together. You're saved by grace. And when divine life comes down into people, it turns people into babies. And that's a good thing. That's a real good thing. But they got a long way to go. they got a long way to go. And on the other hand, here's the truth, Okay. If you're content with yourself being immature, that ain't a good thing. We need to really look ourselves in the mirror. Don't be surprised when you, know, when you see it in other people. But f- folks, please, they don't accept it in your own life. We all start out as babies, but the whole point is not to stay at, as babies. The church is here. It's God's instrument to help you. And, and, and if you kept this, if you, you know, got all these bad attitudes and bad habits and unforgiveness and a root of bitterness, and, and, and you say, yeah, well, I know it, but you know what? It's just the way I am. That's a problem. See, that's a problem. You have, we sang about it just a little while ago. You have the power of God in you to change. You have the life of God in you. What a powerful name it is. The name of you. When, when, when these things come up, when God reveals this thing to you, these things to you, do you ever say, by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, I'm going to get over this. God, you're going to heal me. 
God, you're going to do something special in my life. These ha- now the chains need to be broken. Do you ever pray that prayer? You pray for others, pray for yourself. Pray it for yourself. You have the power to change. Somebody once said that being a Christian is like riding a bike. If you're not moving forward, you're going to fall off. You're going to fall off. One preacher asks, uh, one, one guy I was reading, asked these questions of his congregation on a regular basis. You ready for these questions? Are you humbler, happier, more controlled, and do you have more inner peace than you did this time last year? What do you think? How about the second question? He asked, this is what he asked his congregation. Do you have the courage to ask someone who knows you whether this is the case or not? Do you have the courage to go to somebody who really knows you well and say, hey, would you say I'm actually getting happy, uh, humbler, happier, more self-controlled, and characterized by more inner peace? Now, the first thing, if you ever do that, the person will probably go, you're kidding, right? You're not serious. Uh, they're going to think you're joking. But if you don't want to stay an infant, we need to be concerned about these things, folks. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, he said in verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bear with one another in love. In love. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ enough to want to, in increasing measure, be like him or no? Are you willing to gently and lovingly confront or answer honestly to someone who in great vulnerability approaches you and asks those questions? Are you? Most people are not. But God will use you if you do. God grows his children through his church. This is the purpose of the local visible church. This is how God wants to use us. If you decide to cut yourself off from the churches, from her ministry in your life, you have decided to go a few steps down the road and no further. That would, that's what you've decided. Will you grow? If, if you stop, if you do TV, if you do church TV, are you going to grow? You know what I would say? A little. I think, I, I think you, grow, you grow a little. But you will never become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. I wish I could go back to that woman. Because I don't think she ever went to church again. I wish I could go back to that woman and, 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 and say, you know, what the decision you've just made is a serious, eternal decision. Think it over. Change your decision. Come to the body. Grow with the people of God. God grows his children through his church as we together minister to each other.